to the Blue Collar Zen Podcast, recorded here at the Detroit Zen Center. Welcome back to the podcast. Tonight's tale is called Cotton Sock Flower. This tale is very special to us here at the center because it is the origin story of our home temple, Sudoksa. I hope that one day you all have a chance to visit there yourselves. So I'm going to read a very brief introduction and then turn it over to our abbot. And then we'll follow up with a short conversation. In the high mountains and lofty peaks of the land of the morning calm, also called Korea, sparkling streams grace the paths of monks and pilgrims, and white clouds adorn the mountaintops. There are great monasteries and temples that have attracted aspiring spiritual students for ages, and they have produced many of the country's great monks and high priests. These monasteries and temples usually have founding stories called Source and Origin. The following is the source and origin of Sudoksa. Sudoksa is located in the central part of South Korea, in a district called Yesan, in South Chungcheong province. It was a clear autumn day. The hills and mountains had turned red and yellow, and the air was fresh and fragrant. Sudok, unable to concentrate, arose from his academic studies and took his servants for an outing in the hills and mountains. In high spirits, the servants ran about hunting rabbits and pheasants. Although Sudok rode a horse and carried a bow, he was not really interested in hunting, but was greatly enjoying the ride through the hills. Suddenly, Sundal, Sudok's old servant, called out, Take aim, young master! Hurry, please! What is it? Where? Sudok asked anxiously. Sudok soon saw the deer walking out of the forest in distance where Sundal was pointing. The servants hushed and held their breath as their young master took aim and drew his bowstring. The deer innocently drew near and stood still, leisurely gazing up at the sky. Now was the very best moment to shoot. However, Sudok put down his bow, but continued to look in the direction of the deer. Unable to contain his impatience, Sundal shouted out, If you don't shoot soon, young master, I will. And Sundal drew his bow. No, don't shoot, Sudok ordered firmly. To everyone's great surprise, he hastened to stop Sundal. When Sudok chided his bewildered servant, saying, Can you see nothing but the deer? 
Do you not see anything else? Everyone looked more carefully. To their astonishment, they saw a woman standing beside the deer. Even in the distance, she appeared young and attractive. Sensing his young master's enchantment with the young lady, Sundal jokingly remarked, Our master must be more interested in hunting a young woman than a deer. Sundal was an old faithful servant who had looked after Sudok since he was a young boy, so his young master's true feelings did not escape his intention. It was true that Sudok was strangely excited by the appearance of the young lady. If he had been alone, or were it not for his status at the son of a nobleman, he would have tried to speak to her. But being of noble family, he had to behave accordingly, concealing his true feelings. He turned to his servants and said, Let's go home. They all looked very disappointed, for they were thoroughly enjoying the autumn air. Riding home, Sudok found himself occupied with thoughts of the young lady. Whose daughter could she be, he wondered. Is she still unmarried, and what on earth was she doing on the mountain? Upon his return, Sudok tried to concentrate on his studies, but his mind wandered. The words in his book were soon replaced by the figure of the young lady on the mountain. Before he knew what was happening, Sudok was burning with passion for the lady. Unable to control himself, Sudok called Sundal. I would like to ask a favor, Sundal. What is it, my young master? Can you find out who the young lady on the mountain was and her whereabouts? I will do my best, young master. Sundal proved to be extremely capable. By nightfall, he had brought back all the basic information about the young woman. Master, she still lives alone in the village yonder, and her name is Toksung. Toksung, Lady Toksung, whispered Sudok in admiration. She is known in the village for her outstanding observance of decorum and etiquette, and people say that she has literary talent as well, continued Sundal praising her as he had known her for some time. Has she had any proposals, Sundal quickly asked. Yes, there have been many sons of good families and noblemen who have tried to marry her, but she has refused them all. She tells people that she intends to live alone, said Sundal, looking at his young master intently. Sudok's passion began burning in earnest. He could not hold still for even a minute. Sudok was the son of a local magistrate. He was supposed to be studying under the guidance of a teacher who had been especially hired to prepare him for the state examinations. But since he had first seen Toksun, he could not keep his mind on his study. Sudok's teacher had begun to grow angry. So Sudok explained that he was suffering from a severe headache and needed a good rest. Thus excused, Sudok rode to the palace right on the mountain where he had seen Toksun a few days earlier. She was no longer there. He decided to go visit her in the village where she lived, according to the directions Sundal had brought. When he finally arrived at her home, he made a heroic resolve, like that of a soldier going to battle, that he would not walk out of her house alive unless she contended 
consented to marry him. Sudok picked up all his courage and entered the gate. Lady Toxon, pardon me for intruding, he called out. Sudok tried to express himself calmly in a dignified manner, but his voice quaked and trembled with excitement. Surprised, Toxon came out. When she saw Sudok on horseback, she said shyly, You look like the son of a good family. I am of humble birth. May I ask what brings you here? Lady Toxon, I came here to marry you, and for no other reason. When a real man makes up his mind, he does not change it. If you refuse to marry me, that would be the end of my life. Sudok had overcome any reservations and was bold and direct in his proposal. Toksun quietly looked up at Sudok. She remained silent for a while. Finally, she spoke. I can hear your words, and I can see your resolve. However, I have never thought of getting married. And I am not in a situation to think of such matters, said Toksun, gently but firmly. At this, Sudok became desperate. Your refusal means my death, he said. I beg you to reconsider and grant my wish. My fate is in your hands. Toksun did not reply. Since I first saw you on the mountain, I have abandoned my studies. For the last two days I have moved heaven and earth in order to get my parents' permission to marry you. Now I stand before you in great despair, awaiting your decision. Toksun raised her head after deep deliberation and said, It appears I must save you from the situation you have created. I will marry you. Sudok was so happy, he was almost beside himself. However, I have one request. I cannot marry you until you fulfill my wish, continued Toksun. What is it? Tell me, please. I have lost both my parents through accidents. Since then, since then I have devoted my life to praying for the happiness of their spirits. Will you build a temple and dedicate it to my parents? Then and there, Sudok promised to fulfill her wish. On the following day, he selected a site and immediately set out to work. He hired workers to lay the stone foundations. He cut down trees, made pillars, beams, and rafters for the temple building. The manual work was hard for Sudok, who had simply read books but had never before worked with his hands. But because his mind was constantly occupied with thoughts of Toksum, he was oblivious to the hard physical work he was performing. Just thinking of the day when he would finally marry Toksun and possess her completely. Sudok's heart was filled with joy and excitement. His only regret was that after construction work did not progress as rapidly as he wished. After one month of hard but rough and ready work, the temple was finally finished. Sudok ran full speed to Toksun's house without delay. Toksun, Toksun, are you home? Let's go take a look at the new temple. It's all completed now. 
Sudok had expected that Toksin would be extremely glad to hear the news. However, she looked sad and disappointed. Toksin said, I know, I know. I don't have to trouble my eyes to go take a look. Greatly disappointed, Sudok protested, What do you mean? How can you know the temple is finished without seeing it for yourself? Young Master, the mind of a person who devotes himself to the construction of a temple should be pure and untainted. When you build a Buddhist temple, you should think only of Buddha and nothing else. But instead, your mind was filled all along with lustful desire for a woman whom you wish to possess through marriage. No, it would not do. It would not do. Then Toksun shouted, Look, young master, fire, fire! When Sudok looked around, the new temple was on fire. The temple burned to ashes before their very eyes. At the end of a few hours, the result of Sudok's month of hard work had vanished. He felt so dejected and abandoned, the thing looked almost unreal to him. Toksun tried to encourage him, saying, Young master, you should try again. But this time you must forget your passions and direct your thoughts only to Buddha. Sudok reminded himself of his resolve. He started again to build a temple. This time he tried to concentrate on his work and think of Buddha, the enlightened one. But he found it very difficult to forget Toksun. It was difficult to change his passions into concentration and awakening. Sudok suffered deeply from his conflicting thoughts. Remembering Toksun's encouragement, he tried to think of Buddha, but his thoughts turned to Toksun all too easily, and before he knew it, he would be imagining her body. The experience was so frustrating, it made him feel such anger and helplessness that he wept like a child. But he tried again, immersing himself in his work. As he concentrated and worked harder, he began to feel better. He was gaining experience and improving his skills in carpentry. Most important of all, he realized that the work he was performing was of a spiritual nature, and it required single-minded spiritual devotion, that is, thinking of Buddha and nothing else, just as Toksun had advised him. More and more, he became at one with his work planing wood and making tiles. However, it was during periods of rest that he once more became troubled. Whenever his thoughts turned to Toksun, Sudok found himself burning with passion. Then he would become furious and throw himself into the work. He repeated this experience many times. Winter changed into spring, and spring turned into summer. It had been five months since he had begun building the temple for the second time. Now, once again, the temple was finished. Sudok immediately set out for Toksun's house, walking quickly. When he was almost there, he turned around to take another look at his beautiful temple. And lo and behold, the temple was again on fire. The shock was so great that Sudok fainted dead away. When he regained consciousness, Toksun was beside, beside him. She consoled him, saying, Men grow and mature through trials. 
Young master, you should not give up now. It was the fire of your passions that ignited the temple. You must extinguish that fire. Building a temple is not an ordinary matter. You must cut all worldly ties while constructing a temple and undergo spiritual training worthy of an ascetic. Then Toksin offered the following spiritual instructions. Get up at daybreak and bathe yourself in the mountain stream. Then face the sun Buddha and perform 108 prostrations for all beings. After that, sit down and practice meditation for one hour. Be still and clear. After meditation, recite the name of the Bodhisattva of Great Compassion, Kwan Sam Posal, vigorously 15 times. Then go to work chanting Kwan Sam Posal continuously and concentrate on the construction of the temple. After the day's work, wash yourself, change your clothes, burn incense and sit in meditation thinking only of Buddha. Please follow this schedule faithfully. Go now, please, and set to work without delay. I will see you again one year from today. With these words, Toksun left Sudok. Sudok left alone once again with the task of building the temple was really depressed. But he pulled himself together and decided to devote himself single-mindedly to building a temple for just one year. He had no choice. He faithfully followed the schedule given by Toksun. He got up when it was still dark and bathed himself in the cold mountain stream. Then he did a hundred and eight prostrations, followed by meditation. He became simple, calm and clear. He chanted Kwan Sam Posal throughout the day. He was now experienced in temple construction. This time he made it a careful plan and layout. The work progressed slowly but steadily. Prostrations, meditation and chanting gave him the strength and courage and helped him overcome all difficulties. He just did whatever was required of him every day. It appeared as though he had forgotten about himself and Toksung altogether. The seasons passed and time flew by. A beautiful Buddha hall was finally dedicated. It had been one full year and three months since he, since he had begun building the temple for the third time. The day the temple was completed, Toksung appeared. She was most happy to see the beautiful new temple and said with tears in her eyes, Young master, you finally have fulfilled my wish. Now I will devote myself to serving you as my husband for the rest of my life. They both were deeply moved and looked at each other without speaking. Finally, Sudok broke the silence, saying, Let's get married tomorrow. Toksin wanted to delay, saying she had some preparations to make, but Sudok would not wait. So they were wed in a ceremony the following day. That night, at the bridal room, it was prepared for the newlyweds. But Toksung said to Sudok, I cannot share a bedroom with you. I will do 
anything else, but let me have a separate room, please. Sudok became so angry that he burst out shouting, I have endured so much waiting only for this day. Unable to control himself, Sudok threw himself over Toksun. At that very moment, thunder roared in the sky, and Toksung disappeared. When Sudok regained consciousness, he found himself holding a white cotton sock that had belonged to Toksung. When he looked at the cotton sock more carefully, he suddenly realized that the place where he had fallen trying to hold on to Toksung was only a great boulder, and the one cotton sock was just a white blossom like those blooming in the cracks of the boulder. Neither Toksung nor the bridal room was anywhere to be seen. Instead, he was lying on top of a boulder, holding a cluster of white blossoms under a blue sky. A profound sadness penetrated the depths of Sudok's being. In grief and loneliness, he cried out, Toksun! 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 returned the echo reverberating through the valleys and mountains. It pained him deeply. He could not believe that two years of his love and devotion had been just a dream. He called out Toksun's name time after time and cried bitterly. Finally, it dawned on him that the true nature of all beings is unsubstantial and empty. <coughs> With this, he attained non-self and emptiness. Now liberated from all attachments and sadness, he slowly walked toward the Buddha hall he had built. He felt as if twenty years had gone by overnight. The empty Buddha hall welcomed him back. He felt as though he belonged there, so he shaved his head and became a monk. He decided to walk the way of Buddha and serve all beings. For some time, the villagers down the mountain had been wondering what Sudok and Toksun and the new temple and what it was all about. They were struck with amazement when they heard of this turn of events. Overwhelmed by curiosity, the villagers climbed up the mountain to take a look at the new temple and the new monk. They cautiously inquired about what had happened. The new monk told them with indifference that in his previous life, he had been born in a village down in the mountain. He had been studying to serve in the government. Then he met Toksung, and under her guidance he built a temple. He would say no more. When villagers asked him about the whereabouts of Toksung, Sudok would point to the boulder and say, Go there and call out to her. Standing on the boulder, people innocently called out Toksung's name. Toksung! Toksung! Their voices would echo back. Later on, people came to Sudok for different reasons. They brought, they brought him their troubles and asked for help. Sudok would tell them to go to the boulder and call Toksun and tell her their troubles. Listening to their own troubles echoing back, many realized the origin of their complaints and healed themselves and returned home. A few reached a higher stage in their spiritual development and embraced emptiness as the true nature of all things. As the word spread, people came from all directions to heal themselves. 
They call the boulder wish-fulfilling rock or healing rock. Sudok had five disciples who all attained emptiness. One day he called his five disciples together and said, Always keep your mind vast and empty, for things come and go of themselves. Do not obstruct their movement. I have stayed here too long and I am going now. Please take care of all beings. With these words, Sudo quietly passed away. After his death, the story of Sudok and Toksin was told and retold among the country people. Eventually, story turned into a folk legend in which Toksung became the mountain and Sudok the temple. They now embrace each other permanently like a couple or like a mother and her child. It is for this reason, so it is said, that the mountain is called Toksun San and the temple Sudoksa. And it is also said among Buddhist believers that Toksun was no other than the manifestation of Kwan Sam Posal, the Bodhisattva of great compassion, who appeared in the form of a young lady in order to awaken Sudok to the great way of Buddha. And the same little white blossoms still bloom in the crevices of the rocks around Sudoksa today. People call them lost sock of Kwan Sam Posal, or just cotton sock flower. Well, thank you, Sena. That was really, really nice to hear the story about the founding of our home temple, Sudoksa. What a beautiful yeah. story. I think what really struck me was that Sudok brought this really strong desire and that um, Lady Topsung was able to help him transform it into something that was uh, going to be truly satisfying for him and not just another uh, um, you know, passing satisfaction. Yeah. And I can relate to the story in, in a number of ways. One thing that comes up for me is in helping to uh, build and evolve the Detroit Zen Center. There's a lot of work, and I think it, you can easily get trapped in the mind of doing it um, because you think that some good is going to come of it in the end for yourself and, and for others too. But that mind of doing something for, uh, for the benefit rather than for the sake of itself or uh, simply as an activity of awakening. And that was really powerful. Mm. When Sudok did it the way that uh, Toksung told him to do it, then all difficulties uh, over that period of a year and three months just disappeared. And, and yes, the temple ended up being built, but more importantly, 
was he was transformed, and that of course was behind to Lady Tokson's idea uh, as the manifestation of Kwan Sam Posal, who can produce herself in any form to save all beings, yeah. and she is an example of what all of us strive to do on this Zen path to be able to transform ourselves in order to, to serve all beings mm -hmm. and not simply about ourselves and right. the idea that there is going to be benefit to you but there, the more you think about the benefit you are getting yeah. the less likely it is to actually happen. Mm -hmm. You have to give that to all beings just like you gave your passions to all beings. Then as your truth begins to emerge and then you share your truth with all beings, you don't even keep that for yourself. Yeah. It seems like Sudak, in the big, toward the beginning of the story at one point, he was so overwhelmed with his passion for Lady Toksung that he he couldn't even think straight. Everything was, he was overwhelmed by his passion. And it reminded me of um, our situation. Uh, being human, we are different than other primates and animals, but in some ways we're not. We are driven by you know, thousands of years of, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and the need to uh, survive and and uh, and procreate. Someone once described the the lustful desire that we have for other human beings as being kind of like you're being biologically hijacked. And it was just interesting that that in the midst of that kind of passion, he still built a temple. And then Lady Toksung, when it burned down, said. The temple is burned down by the flames of your passions. And uh, I wonder if you could talk about that. I think one thing that is tricky, definitely in the West, is the idea of um, kind of relinquishing passions. I mean, from your perspective, is it, do you have to give up those passions? You know, a lot of people want to have relationships and partnerships, and this story could maybe appear to say that... I think the thing about that is direction. that passions in a relationship die quickly. Yeah, right. And that's the reason people switch from partner to partner. Right. So, the, the, you, you know, this isn't about, you know, having a partner or not having a partner. Uh, it's, it's about uh, developing yourself and then whether you have a partner or you don't have a partner it doesn't really matter you're you're free to do that yeah but not based on passion yeah right like true love is not passion right what people call love is passion right and that's what we heard a young uh, sudok was demonstrating that and even talking about it, because that's the way of the world. Right. But uh, I guess it would be something if people could understand that having a, 
a partner uh, is wonderful, but we're, we're not loyal people to partners. And one of the reasons we're not loyal is that we operate according to our passions and, and how we feel. And, and we can't always feel a particular way about love that is based on passion. Yeah. But when we have a love that's based on true love, then we become loyal and faithful and, and actually care for our partner. Yeah. And that, I think, causes relationships to endure yeah. uh, beautifully. Uh, versus what we sort of have right now uh, in the West, that that becomes the practice in and of itself. Yeah, well, I appreciate your thoughts on uh, on the story, and it really is a nice story. And uh, thank you for sharing it with us. My pleasure. <laughs>